In an era when technology is so pervasive that so many algorithms are profiling us, what is left for us to do? Can we avoid this profiling? Can we trick these algorithms? Ben Grosser, our guest today, has some answers. Today, we are going to chat about TikTok, about doom scrolling, and more importantly, how it makes his students think about the technological world we are living in. Let's start. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for coming back. Today's conversation is the second part of the conversation I had with the artist Ben Grosser a few months back. Last week, in the first part, we discussed how software engineers us and shape our behavior, how Ben responded to the matrix Facebook, Instagram, and the like are forcing on us, and what are some of the solutions he created that every one of you can use. If you missed it, I would encourage you to check it out. So let's dive in into the second part of the conversation with Ben. I want to ask you another question, if I may. You're teaching the University of Illinois, the Department of Art and Design, and I think one of the role of educators is to push the way their students think. How do you actually challenge your students to think different? So, I mean, I do it in different ways. The, the way I tend to think about it is that I'm not teaching them how to use a piece of software. You know, I teach digital art. For the most part, I'm not teaching them how to use a piece of software. I'm not teaching them how to press a button in Photoshop. I'm not teaching them how to code a bouncing ball, although I do those things. What I'm trying to teach them is to develop the ways through which they can understand that they are humans living within a system or a set of systems, and that it's really about developing a, a way of looking and developing a way of listening. To the world how do they see how do they hear and so that practice then means we're constantly taking our everyday like the things within our everyday environment for me it often is technology and say social media platform so you know take an interface take a software interface put it in front of the class and look at it and analyze the tiniest smallest little bits of it how does it look why is it this way who wants it this way who is that in service of How might we make it different? What if we could change the rules? You know, in other words, there's a system, we're in the middle of it. How can you see it? And then how can you change it? That's really what I'm trying to do when I'm teaching. And I use the things that they're most familiar with as a way of keeping them engaged and showing them that it's really, it's not apart from them. It's, it's where they live every day. So we'll look at Instagram. We'll look at TikTok. We'll look at Microsoft Word. You know, we'll look at Gmail. We'll look at search, like whatever it is, um, whatever's in front of them. We can kind of take any platform, any piece of software, any piece of, of, of hardware too, and analyze it from within that frame. That's how I tend to think about my role. I love it. I mean, because it's kind of spot on to always what I say. Artists lead with questions. And in just one exercise, I think you invited maybe 10, 15 questions like this. 
So you kind of touched one of the, I think, the topics I really wanted to get to speak about, which is TikTok. And we already had a conversation about it. And when I joined TikTok, I think it was at the beginning of 2019. So almost two years ago, very, very early on in the platform lives. I saw it for the first time in China and it kind of was hooking. I don't know what was it about it, but it's like something that catches you. And when I joined at the beginning, it was like pure creativity. It's like everyone did something different. And then I left the platform. And I think that when I read what you wrote about TikTok and the, what you developed for TikTok, which in a second you will tell us, I think that's when the moment I kind of, yeah, okay, now I understand why I left TikTok. And you said that, that kind of the TikTok invite the or makes us find the best path to mimicry and conformity, and basically everyone copying each other. What are your thoughts on that? First of all, what do you think about TikTok? And then what, how, explain us this, again, mimicry and conformity, because I think it's like spot on. Yeah, so I mean, I, I came to TikTok later than you. I would probably guess it was late 2019, or probably late 2019 for me when I first downloaded it, learned about it from my students who a few of them were quite excited about it. And well, the first thing I noticed about TikTok was, this is what all my students are excited about. I don't get it. Um, I, don't, I don't know why this is interesting to them. But you know, the next day I loaded it up again and found that an hour later, I was still scrolling through this feed without, any, without realizing I'd spent that much time at it. And then I kept finding myself doing that over and over again. And as someone interested in the designs of software and its cultural effects, I'm like, well, this is interesting, right? Um, but even by that point, you know, and you and I were talking about earlier how it probably changed from your first experience to my first experience. But one of the things that was most prevalent on the platform at that moment and still is, um, is uh, lip syncing and dance. And so um, Charlie D'Amelio was, I don't know that she wasn't the star she is now. That's the most followed TikToker, at least I think she is. She was certainly, certainly at one point. Um, but, you know, she would do a dance and then all kinds of other people would try to reproduce the same dance to the same song in the same way. And part of what I really started to think about with that culture that was really becoming visible to me on TikTok is that it was a platform that very much in the kind of the, in the media's description of it in 2020, it's talked about as the hot new video-based platform where extreme creativity is happening in ways that isn't possible on Instagram, and Snapchat, and whatnot. So kind of the hot new social media space. But for me, I, I just kept seeing that what the platform seems to produce so much of is a space where creativity is measured in the ability to conform to what someone else is doing. And the where the creativity happens is in minor variation from it. So can I do the exact same dance? There's a lot of value placed on being able to, you know, exactly mimic Bella Porch and her, you know, M to the B kind of face zoom videos. And you've got just video after video of, of people trying to do the exact same facial expressions and motions to the music in exactly the same way that Bella Porch did. 
And then perhaps some creativity emerges from tiny variations. So I did it exactly the same way, but I did this, I added this tiny little thing. So that's a strange way to describe the most creative opportunity in, in social media from my perspective. Now, that's not the only thing going on there, of course, but it seemed to me the more I watched over time that I was seeing increasing amounts of this kind of material such that I would scroll these 15 second to one minute videos, flip, 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 flip. And so many of them looked so similar and sounded the same as every other one. And that's a strange state of affairs. I also, you know, along those same lines, in terms of the scroll, I've tried to think a lot about, I mean, it's so funny, like I can easily find myself start to scroll TikTok and an hour, two hours, yeah. three hours later, I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for two or three <laughs> hours. And I'm like, really? Like, what did I do for two or three hours? But it's, it's so common of an experience with the platform that it is a meme itself that people then reproduce of the like people stuck on TikTok and then waking up like, I'm just going to look at TikTok for a minute and then flash and now it's like morning now it's like light outside and they've been doing it for eight hours like i've seen that meme over and over and reproduced by people on tiktok so it's a common experience and there's something about the way in which they get lined up the videos get lined up on your automated algorithmic feed for you that i think produces that that inability to step away even when i'm tired even when i'm not even finding that many videos i'm interested in anymore because the fact that there's always one, there, you know there's one more right below where you are right now. And it's so easy to get to it. Yeah, so if you just, just one flip of the thumb, one sensuous you know, kind of gesture of your thumb brings the next one, and that one might be the best TikTok you've ever seen. And let's face it, it's a 15-second, like you can spend three seconds on it, five seconds on it. So it's not like the commitment is very large. You don't have three more seconds to see if you can see the best video you've ever seen in your life. But of course, 99% of them aren't that. And you looked at all 99% of those to maybe get to the one. So, or maybe in, on Thursday evening when I spent three hours doing it, I might not have seen any great videos. So there's a way in which it sets this like the design of the interface really keeps me. Yeah. You responded to that. You created the, how you call it? Not for you, which is kind of the opposite is for you hashtag in the TikTok that everyone or the, the feed for you. And you created the not for you. What is this not for you? How does it work? Yeah. So just in case there are not people who aren't TikToking out there in the world, listening, <laughs> um, the nomenclature for the algorithmic feed on TikTok is the for you page. So it's the page, it's the stream that was created for you. And and kind of their claim to fame, ByteDance as a company, is that they've come up with an artificially intelligent profiling system for understanding a way, for giving you content that will make it difficult for you to step away. Now, I think we could challenge that it's really as, as capable as it is. I think it's more other interface design things that we've talked about a bit. But the For You page is where you like you load up TikTok, what you see is the For You page. And it's videos that have been queued up for you. And you don't have to follow anybody, you know, like you can, but you'll have an endless stream of videos no matter what. And it just watches what you do and gives you more of what they say. It gives you more of what you want to see. But one thing we know from plenty of research at this point about algorithmic feeds and 
search engines and other kinds of profiling technologies that try to be predictive of what a human wants is that they tend to produce what Eli Pariser called a filter bubble, that you will start to see more of the world from a narrower and narrower point of view, and you won't really see all these other things out there, and such that you start to think that is the world, and there isn't anything else out there. And I think this is part of what's happened with Facebook and groups and misinformation. It's certainly prevalent with Google and ways that Google does things. And I think it's very common on TikTok as well. And I think it accounts for, in some ways, the, the way in which the feed became less and less interesting to me the more I played with it, because there was, I wasn't getting that variation that maybe is even out there. You know, it's like, I don't know how many times I've like been on YouTube, for example, and like if I look at a, a car video, like a car review or something, well, now my feed is full of car reviews and I can't even find anything else. You know, it just thinks all I want to see is car reviews. Now, I like cars whatever i don't i like watching videos about cars i don't spend much time with them otherwise so this kind of algorithmic profiling that all these platforms are using in order to keep us engaged i think produces all kinds of negative effects but also even doesn't even give me what might be most engaging and so that's what led me to create this piece called not for you not for you is a browser extension based work that it's what I call an automated confusion system for TikTok. Will you log into TikTok on the web browser and then you turn not for you on and now it drives TikTok for you. It browses the for you page and it likes videos and it clicks on them and it looks at follows hashtags and it then looks at someone who commented and goes and looks at their videos and kind of looks at a few of those and it sees what song they use and it clicks on that song and then it follows like, well, who else is making things with that song? And it just does this forever. And the idea is that it's producing data for the for you algorithm that has nothing to do with who I am or how I respond to the interface or what it is I think I want as a way of surfacing material that is different from what my profile thinks of me but also as a way of potentially surfacing material that TikTok maybe isn't so excited. Maybe they're trying to suppress. There's been some good reporting on kind of some of the ways the, the content moderation policies at, at ByteDance and how they make decisions about certain kinds of content that should be elevated or not. So I find it a fascinating thing to watch run because first of all, you just I just try it for a little bit of time and all of a sudden I'm seeing things I never knew were on. TikTok at all. It, the most striking thing I realize is how localized my For You page is typically, that there's all this international and foreign language content from all around the world on TikTok that I never saw. And, and maybe I could go search for it if I knew what to search for. But the For You page isn't thinking I'm interested in that content at all. And, and it looks at things pretty differently. Like they don't all conform to this, at least for me, a kind of a very Western Americanized kind of sensibility. You are talking about and I think it's like it suddenly make TikTok again exciting for me to go and check to actually be able to get exposed. And and yeah, I mean, I think we talked about again in the past is that what I hate about Spotify and Netflix is that they just profile me and then I get the same. So if I listen jazz, that's it. Jazz is the only music in my life I want to hear and I cannot even find anything else. And if I saw one drama or sport uh, series on Netflix, that's it. For the rest of my life, I'm doomed 
to watch <laughs> sports and drama. And it's like, I don't understand why those platforms don't give you the option to say, delete my profile, mix my profile. Um, don't profile me for three months. I think in many ways that will create better experience. Certain balancing it than 100% profiling to give me the option to explore, get exposed to new music, get exposed to new artists, get exposed to new TV show, get exposed to new movies. So I don't know if I can raise it as a request, if you can develop, <laughs> not for you, slash Netflix, not for you, slash Spotify. I will highly appreciate it. I'm positive that there are more people in the audience that uh, uh, would love it. I'll get right on it. You know, I think there's so many things in what you just said. And we, one of the things we talked about early in this conversation is, you know, growth as a state of being. And part of what I think the software developers are trying to contend with is explosion, the endless growth of, of content. And how can they take this endless trove of things you could listen to or this endless trove of things you could watch and, and somehow make your experience simpler? It's like they all forgot what it's like to go to the video store. I mean, I know we don't go to video stores anymore, but some of my best experiences came out of like the new release section, not having the video that I came to the store for and going, okay, what do I get? What's going to happen now? It's like they never went to a library and went to the place where the book was that they wanted and it wasn't there, but they still looked at the shelf and found things that were interesting and maybe found their way to something they never would have been looking for in the first place. Um, and this thing about like, we have come, we have gotten to a point where as users of algorithmic platforms, we all are carrying around in our heads, whether we realize it or not, kind of an internalized picture of how all of these different platforms, algorithms work. Like you have some sense of like, well, I shouldn't listen to that on my Spotify account because if I do, it's going to pollute my Spotify account in this way. And if I'm on, I mean, I have like eight Netflix profiles just so I can just keep starting over. Like one of them's called Netflix bankruptcy because I'm just, <laughs> I need to start over because I get stuck in a niche and I don't want to be in the yeah. niche. You know, I've really been enjoying Criterion channel as a streaming platform lately, not only because I like the movies, but because it's not trying to figure out what I want. It's just, here's what we have. And you can just, it's like the library. It's not like the newsfeed, you know, it's like, here's all the stuff you can just click through it all. And it's, we change what's there and our role is or as curators of the material. And then you can just choose from there, from everything we've selected for the month. And, you know, I think there's going to be op more opportunities down the road for, I mean, if there's an opportunity out there in a streaming music platform, it to be to do something more along those lines rather than just continuously try and predict. Because I find Spotify just so bad at figuring out what I'm interested in. I, I don't know how they're making their decisions, but they like, oh, well, here's a lot of things like that thing you just listened to. And I listened to the list and like none of it is has anything to do with why I listened to that original track and it's however they're characterizing things has nothing to do with the way i listen if you can in 2021 <laughs> yeah you know i mean spotify is a little more complicated right because spotify um well if i were to go literally automate clicks in spotify it's having monetary effects on the company right i mean i suppose there's bandwidth issues with tiktok but 
nobody like it's it's not it's not liking very much stuff just like i don't like very much stuff and I'm yeah it's like you know it's funny because in tiktok i think i did like maybe two three four five videos of how to use instagram to increase your uh, users and that's it i'm doomed all the videos that i get are these Okay, I saw five. I'm sorry. I apologize. Leave me alone. It's like I don't want to see it anymore. So, yeah. you know, another uh, kind of a uh, workaround for me is that uh, now what I do is that I don't just skip. I just say I'm not interested in this video. So those videos don't come again. So such a fascinating conversation. And I cannot leave this conversation without asking you about another technology that kind of dominates our life, which is the Siri slash Google Home. What do you think about these technologies? And then again, you respond to basically every technology that's out there, at least the one that I know. One of the things I do with someone interested in technologies, I watch a lot of sci-fi. Sci-fi movies are certainly a joy of mine. And there's such a, a strong history and a relationship between sci-fi and technology that ends up getting built. And It's been a holy grail for as long as I've been watching sci-fi to just be able to have a conversation with a computer through language. And speech synthesis has come so far, and, and machine learning now has made automated understanding, um, or auto automated translation, I should say, more transcription possible in ways that it wasn't just five, ten years ago. And you know, I have an iPhone, and so I speak to Siri, and I ask her very simple questions, really. I don't have a big conversation with Siri. I ask her to set timers and I ask her what the weather is and um, I maybe a few other things. And it seems like as much of the time as I do that, I'm also just saying, Siri, I wasn't talking to you. I was having a conversation with someone else. So those parts of that experience, of course, will likely improve over time. But Personally, you know, one of the areas of focus for me as an artist has been thinking about the ways in which data collection has negative effects for us as individuals and collectively as a society. The more that, you know, what we say on a platform or what we look at, what we search for in Google or which video we spend the most time looking at on TikTok not only helps those companies give us more of what they think we want, but it also creates an endless trove of data that can be used in nefarious ways. You know, I have a work called Scare Mail that came out after um, the uh, Edward Snowden revealed the existence of illegal mass surveillance by the National Security Agency of the United States. And it was still out there. You can use it if you want. It's a piece that works with Gmail. And every time you hit Compose, It will generate a unique nonsense narrative and attach it to the end of your email containing a list of probable NSA search keywords embedded within it. So it's like a little, it's a way of inserting noise and nonsense into the NSA's data banks, but it also attracts the attention of NSA algorithms, making them feel like they have to something to pay attention to. It's a way of wasting resources at the NSA. It's another way to think about it. But you know, really most importantly, it's a way of getting <laughs> us as humans to think about, are you willing to use a, a work like ScareMail or not? And if not, why not? Like, why does adding nonsense to the end of your email, why is that dangerous? When it's truly nonsense, it truly means nothing. And it gets at this aspect of surveillance. And so I can't help but think about these 
new intelligent agents through that lens personally that they create a new potential for interaction and it's a very natural feeling mode of interaction when it works but it also creates the conditions under which we become comfortable being subject to computational listening machines everywhere all the time and it just reflects on other aspects of surveillance and observation including video surveillance and face detection and everything we enter into a messaging program and our email programs and our all this and our that so i think about you know the alexas and the fact that like amazon will they're, they get cheaper and cheaper and like i keep getting offers occasionally like we'll give you a free google whatever and a free amazon whatever if you just like buy this other thing and it is to their advantage to for us to have microphones throughout our homes and throughout and in our pockets and in our cars and in the office because it produces a lot of useful data that doesn't mean that i think they're all sitting around going, how can I ruin the world by capturing data and surveilling you? You know, but most technologies don't start that way. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg didn't sit down and go, how could I create a platform that would lead to the election of fascist, you know, head of the United States and, you know, heading all the way for like an attempted an insurrection at the Capitol and an attempted coup. Like that wasn't Mark Zuckerberg's idea when he thought make the world more open and connected, but it's one of the outcomes of trying to connect everyone and trying to create a feed that will give everybody what it is they're most engaged by and exclude any contrary views. And so I can't help but think about the ways that having all these listening machines all around us are concerning about, you know, where that eventually leads. Great. So, you know, I live in, in a multi-Alexa house. I'm interested to understand how you responded to Alexa and maybe voice surveillance platforms or algorithms with the doom scroller. What is this doom scrollers and why we should use it? Uh, the endless doom scroller is the is the name of work uh, that I, I made in the middle of 2020. And it really was responding to the conditions so many of us found ourselves within from March 2020 onward, um, where the world had rapidly and radically changed in terms of our agency to be fluid across it. And doom scrolling as a term, although it's been around, I think, two or three years, it really kind of came into popular conversation in 2020 as a term to describe ways that we in the pandemic often find ourselves regularly and in some cases i would say involuntarily scrolling bad news headlines on our phone often for hours at night um, before we go to bed and then wake up and go right back to the phone i mean i'm certainly describing my own experience here where i would stay up later than i intended reading scanning bad news headlines and um, wake up and go right back to it and it was not a productive experience i still and find myself engaged in it. Certainly the realities of the pandemic necessitate a level of vigilance for the purposes of personal safety. We need to be paying attention to some extent to what the news is. But doom scrolling, this condition I'm describing, it's not just a natural reaction to the news of the day. It's the result of 
a perfect yet evil marriage between a populace stuck online, social media interfaces designed to game and hold our attention, and the realities of the existential global crisis that we find ourselves in, right? So yes, it may be hard to look away from bad news in any format, but it's extremely difficult to do so when it's presented to us by interfaces designed to hold our attention. And the thing that has most held our attention and most attracted our attention for almost a year now is COVID-19. It's the pandemic. It's where are things going? When is it going to get better? How much worse is it going to get? Um, after finding myself stuck in this condition, like so many other people, I started to think about well, what is the mechanism behind this software-induced kind of condition of despair that why can't I step away from the interface? Why do I keep scrolling bad news headlines? The truth is, you know, especially in those first few months, we kind of knew what to do. I mean, put your mask on, social distance, work at home if you can. If you have to work out in the world, then do it in as safe a way as possible. It wasn't changing all that much, yet we're just constantly looking for that thing. And so I wanted to kind of step back and think about like the mechanism the mechanisms at play. And there were two mechanisms, really. One is the endless scroll, the infinite scroll that has become such a feature of TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and, and all the other platforms designed to keep us engaged. And then also thinking about headlines and the media and the way that headlines get composed and what it is a headline does. And so I decided to distill those down to their most barest essentials. I took headlines over the course of a month or more. And I would just like read headlines every day and I would kind of abstract them into just simple versions. And then I also created this interface where all it does is it presents those headlines to you and you literally can never scroll to the bottom. They just never stop coming. So you can scroll as fast as you want or as slow as you want, but it's just, it's literally an endless doom scroller. And for me, it's a way of producing some bit of mindfulness about what is it we're doing when we, when we engage in this activity. Um, I even talk about it as enabling a sort of exposure or substitution therapy, a way to like, you know, a common reaction I get to the work is someone plays with it for a while and their, and their reaction is, oh, this is what I've been doing. Like, I'm not even clicking on these articles. I'm just scrolling, looking for, maybe looking for the good news in the midst of the bad, right? That's probably a good like possibility for what we're looking for. But just like with the TikTok videos that we talked about earlier, you know, even if you see a good headline at the bottom of the screen, you know there might be a bad one right below. And it's so hard to not just go a little bit further and then you see the bad one, but now you're stuck looking for a good one again and the cycle never ends. So that's what the work is. It's a simple interface for presenting bad news headlines endlessly. You know, one of the features that I discovered in Alexa is actually a skill that's called good news. And actually they read you good news because um, I'm avoiding news. I don't know if it's an ignorant uh, act or action or... but. I just can't bear the news. It's just, you know, it depresses me. It's put me into stress. And the news are just the same. Same politicians, same same things in the same hours. And everything is the same. 
And everything is with the purpose to kind of scare you. There's no hope. And I'm like, okay, I don't want that. Normally what I do is in, in the morning, I ask Alexa, tell me good news. And then they tell you about a species that suddenly uh, kind of managed to survive and become popular again. Or they tell you about a kid that did something. So I wish we could have had more algorithms that actually uh, kind of uh, bring this or search for this good news and create a channel for good news. I mean, I think you're hitting on something really important about the the news and the way it gets written and, and headlines too, which is that, I mean, the classic kind of media response to why do you show so much bad news? Like, why don't you show good news? Is it's always, well, that's what people want to read. That's what people want to hear about. That's what gets the most clicks. But again, there's that thing, the most, more, like maybe we need news sources that aren't only a designed to get more clicks? What if I want a new source that is designed to get the least clicks? What if there was an award for, I wrote the headline that nobody wanted to read? I mean, nobody maybe isn't gonna do much for you, but it's a different way of thinking about this problem, right? Where, you know, even when I talk to journalists, you know, maybe an interview for an article they're writing, and then the piece comes out, a, a conversation I've had multiple times is, well, I didn't write the headline. The journalists, you know, don't, it's the editor that writes the headline. And sometimes journalists maybe don't love the headline. They got attached to their story. Those are two different roles, like the news and the, the headline that's designed to attract your attention. But I think what's even weirder now is that, I mean, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, so often these days, I don't read the articles, I just read the headlines and maybe the tagline below it. You know, I have, a, I go to the New York Times, I scan the page, I think that's given me something. I go to the Washington Post, I scan the page, I think that's, I go to the Guardian, like whatever it is, I go to Facebook, I scan my feed, I read the headlines of the things that have been posted by my friends. And that's a really weird view of the world, because these are the blips that are designed to keep us focused on the interface, <laughs> not to keep us informed. And that's a pretty big difference of motivation. And I mean, I even end up having conversations with my spouse where I'll say, well, did you see that headline about? And she's like, yeah, I'm, did, you, did you read the article? No, I didn't, like, I didn't either. You know, it's like maybe one of us should read the article and see if it really like reflects that headline. I don't know. But yeah, you know, good news, right? It's like we could use some. And of course, there's opportunities for it when all these systems are built to preference uh, whatever, to advance whatever material it is that keeps us engaged and focused rather than informed and happy or optimistic, <laughs> then we end up with what we have, which is a planet full of people doom scrolling too late into the night and not getting enough sleep. At least now our listeners have some tools to avoid it, at least on computer. I mean, I don't know how it works, if it works on the apps themselves. But uh, yeah, one of the things that I try to do is just to put on airplane mode and put it outside my room. I try. It's not every day or every night that I actually manage to do so. I always give myself the excuse that my alarm is on the iPhone even though the alarms were much much before. <laughs> we make these deals with ourselves all the time around technology, right? I did exactly the same thing. I, I, was, I got to the point where I was getting so little sleep and I was just so worn out in like late March, early April, whatever it was, just that I started putting my phone in the kitchen at night, plugging it in the kitchen and going to the bedroom. And I had the best month of sleep I had had in a long time 
And I don't know, somehow I rationalized letting it creep back into the bedroom. And now I'm on TikTok, you know, till six in the morning or whatever it is. For me, that's not that late, but the, they're so attractive. There's so many ways in which they 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 attract us to them that I think it takes deliberate action. It takes intention and it takes creativity to find a way to gain, regain some agency in a world where we're embedded in, surrounded by, and quite frankly, have no choice for many of us but to interact with all of these technologies and software platforms. Ben, I think it's a great message, kind of even uh, finish our conversation. It's been such a wonderful time to chat with you. I mean, so fascinating. And I really hope that we will have the chance to maybe have another podcast when you have new technologies and new uh, works to share. For everyone that's interested in uh, Ben's work, you can find him on his website, bengrosser.com. You can follow him on the same name on Twitter. So he's available over there. Ben, thank you very, 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 very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure to chat. Thanks for reaching out. The questions Ben is raising and the solutions he is offering are more than just a quick answer. They are profound if you take it too hard. He actually gave me an idea. Why won't we let students in engineering, business, or entrepreneurship listen to these episodes? We so often hear about the need for developing more humane and responsible companies. But do we provide the right resources? Voices like Ben Gosser and Lauren McCarthy, our previous guest, are essential in this process. Their critical way of thinking, their ideas, and their solutions can be a great start. Let us know what you think about the conversation with Ben or Lauren. You can reach us at podcast at theartian.com. So until the next time, stay well. Stay healthy. I will be waiting for you on another episode of the Artian Podcast. Thanks for listening. A quick reminder that we are producing our podcast without any help. So if you find this podcast valuable for you, I will be super grateful if you can help us spread the word by leaving a rating or a review. Better, share it with your friends and family. It will take you less than a minute. And trust me, it really, really helps. Special thanks to Daniel Duran, who mixed and mastered this episode, and Abigail Dyson, our intern who helps us put the message out there. If you are interested in working with us and upskilling your team's capabilities, if you are interested in developing creative environment inspired by art, thinking, and entrepreneurship, I would recommend you to check our website. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of our previous shows are available on our website, www.theartian.com slash podcast. Remember, each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. And like many others, we are social. You can find us on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or just write us directly, podcast at theartian.com. Once again, thanks for listening.